Hello, scholars. This is the professor speaking, and I welcome you to Hi, That's Scary, a podcast that utilizes the effects of cannabis to analyze horror cinema. The title of today's lecture is 80s Movie Parents and the Prevalence of Treating Their Children Like Garbage. The strain used while watching was Zweet Insanity Wax. It has effects on energy, creativity, and focus. We are going to be discussing The Stepfather, a 1987 film starring Terry O'Quinn as Jerry, Jill Sholin as Stephanie, and Shelley Hack as Susan. The screenplay was written by Donald Westlake and it was directed by Joseph Rubin. I'm going to go into a little bit of background about this film. I've never seen it before taking on today's lecture. I vaguely remember having seen the second film about a decade ago. I believe it was available on one of the Movies On Demand channels. So I was going in with a very minimal understanding of the plot. Let's get into the movie summary. After murdering his entire family, a man remarries a widow with a teenage daughter in another town and prepares to do the same thing all over again. From this and my hazy memories, the basic premise of this film as I understood it is a man gets married to a single mom, he wants the whole perfect family, and then when things go wrong, anything goes wrong, they're not perfect anymore. So he kills them and does the same thing over and over. I thought I'd definitely be in for a treat, and it was some treat. I'm going to be really honest with you scholars and give a little preface before we dive into the lecture. I wasn't even 30 minutes into this movie before I started to get really angry. And that kind of sucks because no one wants to be angry when they're high. The reason for my anger and frustration largely stems from the fact that I felt very protective over the fictional teenager in this film. I still do. So I will attempt to keep my composure. Honestly though, no promises because this film is ridiculous. Let's get this ball rolling, folks. We open the film with a man covered in blood. He's in a bathroom and he starts grooming himself. He shaves his beard and cuts his hair. He changes his clothes, takes all of this evidence, and puts it into a suitcase. He walks out of the house. While walking out of the house, he goes past what I counted as four bodies. There's blood everywhere. We jump to one year later, opening the scene with, we come to find out, Stephanie, our protagonist. She rides her bike, and when she gets home, she starts having this leaf fight with her mom, Susan. I thought this moment was supposed to be cute, but I couldn't stop thinking about the fact that there are definitely bugs in those leaves. 
When I was a child, my mom wouldn't let me play in fallen leaves because they're really dirty. So it was pretty hard for me to focus on this being a touching moment and mother-daughter bonding time. The only thought on my mind was, there's bugs in those leaves. The man from the beginning of the film, the one covered in blood, pulls up and parks in their driveway. He apparently lives there now and is going by the name Jerry. Stephanie is very obvious about the fact that she does not like Jerry. She rolls her eyes and becomes very cranky when her mother points out that he's come home. Jerry has bought Stephanie a dog and even says to Susan that he's not trying to bribe her or buy her love or anything like that. And it's just so gross because you know that is exactly why he's doing it. It's so obvious. At this point, I'm just like, okay, the girl doesn't like her mom's boyfriend. That's not good because I was stoned off my ass. The married part of the summary hadn't sunk in. After this, we jump to Stephanie and her therapist, Dr. Bondurant, and that's when they say that her mom is married to Jerry. Think about that for a moment. In one year, Jerry is already married again. This means that Susan, the mom to a teenage daughter whose father died at some point before the movie, dated and moved in slash married this man in a single year. They didn't seem like they were newly married either, so they likely got married in under a year. I'm going to be honest, that fact really distracted me and definitely impacted my entire analysis of the events that followed. The reason for my distraction is that I don't understand how someone can think a year is long enough to be with a person before getting married when they have a child. My entire watch of this movie became focused on how these events, actions, and statements are affecting this child. That is largely what this analysis will be doing. And scholars, it's not good. Moving on. Jerry's a realtor now. He's showing a family a house, and when the family asks about his life, he says he has a daughter, Stephanie. I wanted to know that Stephanie calls Jerry by his name, not dad, which implies she hasn't assigned him a fatherly role. Jerry automatically claims that title just because he happens to be married to Susan. He feels entitled to that. While showing the house, he tries to butter up the young child by pushing her on a swing. I say butter up because while Jerry is trying to act like a nice dad type person, this is a sales tactic. Some realtors will do anything to sell a house. Pushing a child on a swing so the adults can see a snapshot into their potential future in the home is a way to steer a buyer into making an offer. Most sales tactics are inherently manipulative. Jerry is being manipulative here. He's pushing the child on the swing, 
and talking about Stephanie to the child. He slips up and he calls Stephanie Jill, which the child proceeds to correct. Jerry has this dazed expression on his face, like he's somewhere far away mentally. We jump to a lovely surprise, scholars. It turns out Stephanie is having behavioral issues. She's getting in trouble at school. She gets in so much trouble, she gets expelled after a fight. And that fight was possibly not her fault. A boy in her class, Paul, rushes to defend her to a teacher when they go to send her to the office, and the teacher doesn't care. Basing this off my own memories from high school, but I'm pretty sure it was kind of hard to get expelled. You had to do a lot of rule breaking for them to expel you. I think I only know of two or three people that got expelled when I went to high school, and I believe it was due to weapons. What I'm trying to get at here is, in a year, this girl's behavior nosedived so hard, she got expelled. She is in therapy, but the only change in this girl's environment is this man. So obviously, that may be the reason for her acting out. The best thing for her would be to not be around that person. So, the person in charge of her should have made that happen before it got to this point. Stephanie can't remove herself. She's a child. So the adults are supposed to be the ones to fix the situation. At this point, I was maintaining a confused grimace. After Stephanie's expulsion, the three, Stephanie, Jerry, and Susan are having dinner. They're talking about said expulsion, and Stephanie says she wants to go to boarding school. Susan asks if she's sure she wants to, quote, run away from her problems. There's major problems with this statement alone. In a single sentence, Susan did three things. She made her child feel guilty for wanting space. She invalidated her child's feelings with a condescending tone. And she made it seem like Stephanie's problems are something that she, a child, could fix when the problems are being caused by adults. Susan then asked Jerry for his opinion, as he has veto power over this for some reason. I was very confused as to why Jerry got a say in this decision. He's only known this girl for a year, and they don't get along. She's not his kid, so why does he get to decide if she gets to go to boarding school? Jerry obviously says no, because he didn't want to break up the family, and then says, Father knows best. Jerry feels entitled to this, to making this decision. A lot of Jerry's actions are steeped in entitlement, so that word will likely keep coming up. 
Because of this entitlement, Jerry has convinced, likely through manipulation, Susan to agree that he gets final vote. Jerry and Susan are trying to force Stephanie to see this man as her father when she's known him for a year. That's not how that works. She's 16, so they met when she was 15. She is almost legally an adult when the movie takes place. In two short years, she can move out and go to college. Jerry is not her dad, and trying to make Stephanie act like Jerry is her dad is disrespectful to her. Only the child can decide to bestow that title on a step-parent. It is not up to the step-parent to decide. Susan later tries to convince Stephanie to give Jerry a chance, following by saying that they will finally have a chance with him. I'm not sure what she means by they would have a chance with him. Do they rely on his income? Is Susan also trying to replicate the perfect family like Jerry is, but with less murder and similar amounts of abusive behavior towards a child? Stephanie straight up says she doesn't know why she doesn't like Jerry, but that she finds him creepy. Susan, of course, brushes this off, invalidating her child's feelings for a man yet again. After Susan and Stephanie's chat, we cut to Jerry in bed and Susan joins him. The topic of Jerry's past comes up and Susan says, you never talk about your past. She goes on to say she doesn't know much about his life before he got there. This is the moment that I just accepted that Jerry must only target bad parents because Susan is a terrible parent. Not only does she marry this man in under a year, she doesn't even know lies about his past. She doesn't have a fake backstory for him. She simply accepted that he didn't want to talk about it and brought this actual stranger around her child. Susan doesn't know that he's not a child molester. She obviously didn't know he was a murderer, otherwise we wouldn't be having this conversation now, would we? I understand the character of Jerry was very manipulative, and that's how he was able to move on these women so quickly. I understand that. When someone has children, they must come first. Children didn't choose to be here. Adults made the decision to bring them here. So it is the responsibility of that adult to ensure the safety of their child. Manipulation or not, by choosing a relationship over her child, Susan is emotionally and mentally abusing Stephanie by continuing this relationship and invalidating her thoughts and feelings. Oh, and then Susan and Jerry don't talk about his past and they have sex instead. 
which Stephanie can hear. Stephanie puts on headphones, and her body language implies this is a frequent occurrence. By body language, I mean she tries to ignore it at first, and when she finally decides to put on her headphones, her face is disappointed rather than surprised or mortified at hearing her mother boning in the other room. As I stated earlier, I was already concluding that Susan was an abusive parent, but this was just next level. Sometimes accidents happen and kids hear things, but for it to be a frequent occurrence is just unacceptable. A child should not be regularly hearing their parents smash. That's gross. I also would like to note, all of this happens in under 20 minutes. Seriously, all of that that I previously mentioned happens in the first 20 minutes of the film. I had another hour and eight minutes of witnessing Susan's terrible parenting and Jerry just being the human embodiment of toxic masculinity and oppressive patriarchy. We cut to Jerry's old house, the one he murdered all those people at at the beginning of the film. The brother of Jerry's dead wife, Jim, starts looking for clues trying to find Jerry and get justice for his sister and her children. He's done some research and he tells a newspaper reporter of his findings that Jerry quit his job three weeks before he murdered his family, but continued to leave the house every morning like he was still employed. He was setting up a new life. Jim maps a radius for where Jerry could have traveled to and back in the time frame of his working hours. Jim gets the reporter to run an article about the murders. Jim mentions during this discussion that the police have stopped caring because it's been a year. Investigations can go on for months, why is a year being considered a long length of time? A year is not actually that long in the grand scheme of things, especially with traumatic events or a radical shift in one's life. The horror trope of inept law enforcement rears its head through this statement. After the article runs in the paper, Susan and Jerry's neighbors are over for a barbecue, and they criticize it for not letting the family rest and bringing up old wounds. But they aren't old. They're still very fresh, especially to Jim. People in the neighboring town want it to be put to rest because it is something ugly. Brutal murders are ugly. They don't want to see the ugly anymore. They want to pretend it doesn't exist. The killer wasn't caught, yet they don't worry. They just want to forget it ever happened. Stephanie sees the article, which did not include a photo despite Jim's request, and she begins to suspect Jerry to be the murderer. 
Jerry sees the article and eventually has a meltdown in the basement, which Stephanie witnesses. He's talking to himself and hitting things. This just makes Stephanie more suspicious of him. She writes a letter to the newspaper and asks for a picture of the murderer in the article. Stephanie goes to therapy and Dr. Bondurant agrees that boarding school is a good idea. He points out that sometimes putting some distance between Stephanie and her issues could be very beneficial in stark contrast to her mother's reaction. He tells Stephanie that he wants to talk to Jerry. Jerry, in the meantime, steals Stephanie's mail with the picture of him inside. Stephanie walks up to him to ask if she has anything, and he only gives her a Cosmopolitan magazine after giving her a hard time about it as a joke. Jerry then has another meltdown in the basement. He calls Stephanie his good little girl and referring to himself as daddy. He has a clear obsession with being the patriarch. With this obsession comes an expectation that other family members are supposed to fall in line in their assigned roles. Susan fell in line as wife and mother. Stephanie is supposed to be his good little girl but she's going behind his back to prove he's a murderer. That can't do. Susan interrupts Jerry's meltdown to let him know dinner will be ready soon. Despite this, he starts working on a model house for some reason, even though Susan literally said dinner was in 15 minutes. He does not have enough time to start that project, so I'm not sure why he does. The only thing I could think is that he really does not respect Susan at all, which is not surprising. Dr. Bondurant calls and wants to talk to Jerry. Susan interrupts him again. Jerry refuses to call and then rudely shuts. Jim speaks to a police officer about the case and when he asks him what he should do, the officer said he would likely take matters into his own hands. The police are advocating for vigilante justice, and please, someone correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't that kind of illegal? I'm pretty sure they're not supposed to do that. I'm not sure if it's just an ethical thing or if there are also legal repercussions, but it doesn't sound right. Inept law enforcement trope is back again. Jim then starts trying to figure out how to find Jerry himself and kill him. Stephanie tells Dr. Bondurant that Jerry scares her. Since Jerry won't answer his calls, he makes an appointment to view one of Jerry's houses under a fake name. Jerry, while all this is going on, switches out the photo of him with another man's picture and puts it back in the mailbox for Stephanie. Stephanie opens it. She's disappointed and feels like she's going crazy when she sees that the picture is not of Jerry. 
The appointment between Jerry and Dr. Bondurant does not go well. Dr. Bondurant starts out with a story of him being a bachelor, and that's why he wanted to look at the house. Eventually, he slips up, mentioning his wife. Jerry immediately picks up on this and becomes suspicious about the lie. He then murders Dr. Bondurant with a wooden plank. This takes place inside the show house, but luckily there is pink paper lining the edges of the walls, likely to catch paint drips. Dr. Bondurant happens to fall there for easy cleanup. Jerry realizes who the man is by checking his wallet. Jerry goes and stages a car accident with the body so people won't realize he's been murdered. The next day, Jerry uses this opportunity to bond with Stephanie by being the one to tell her that her therapist was dead. He was there as a shoulder for her to cry on. I don't think I even need to explain why this is manipulative as fuck. Stephanie actually ends up apologizing to Jerry for her behavior after this. I was so over this film, scholars, I really was. Jim finds a magazine in his sister's basement with some pages ripped out, and he figures that likely had something to do with where Jerry went. He goes to the library and finds the magazine. Lining the magazines up with each other, he figures out which pages were torn out. All of those pages were about potential small towns to live in. Thanks to this find, Jim has the ability to figure out which town Jerry went to. Third time's a charm with inept law enforcement because that magazine should have been in evidence. Time jump to Thanksgiving! Stephanie and Paul, the boy from earlier, are hanging out. They end up making out on Stephanie's porch, as teenagers do. Jerry comes rampaging out of the house, screaming, and accuses the boy of rape when Susan asked what's going on. Jerry obviously must be limber as shit to perform such mental gymnastics. Stephanie and Susan argue about what's going on. Susan says to Stephanie, He is your father now, and you will respect him. What? 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 There's so many things wrong with this. Respect is earned. Jerry is not entitled to respect, just because he happens to be boinking Stephanie's mom. Jerry is not Stephanie's father, and Susan, trying to act like he is, is the main reason Stephanie is having issues. Susan cannot force her child to view Jerry as her father. That is abusive behavior. Jerry has been in this girl's life for a year, 
how in the hell is she supposed to be okay with putting him in the same position as a parent? Especially when they're clearly not taking her feelings into account. Even worse, Stephanie runs away after Susan slaps her for being disrespectful. I do want to note that before Susan slapped her, Stephanie asked how she could sleep with Jerry because he was gross. Under different circumstances, this would be way out of pocket, but considering all of the shit this child has gone through, I really could not blame her for going there. After Stephanie leaves though, Susan turns on Jerry and basically tells him she didn't agree with him in the first place. I was so confused. If Susan didn't agree with Jerry, why in the fuck did she go so hard for him in front of Stephanie? Why is she unwilling to support her child when she is actually present? This is such a disgusting display of lack of respect for Stephanie. Things are obviously going to shit. So, the next day, Jerry quits his job so that he has time to set up his next life. Jim arrives in town to search for Jerry. He begins checking marriage records, trying to find any couple that got married in the past year. Jim narrows down who it could be and starts going door to door looking for Jerry. He even shows up at Susan's house while Jerry is out and says he'll come back. Stephanie is sent to a new therapist whose office is directly next to Dr. Bondurant's office. I wondered if there wasn't anyone else to be able to take her over. Why should she have to go past his office door every session? That's so messed up. Stephanie's going to have to relive the trauma of learning her therapist is dead by having to walk past his door every time she goes to therapy. Stephanie skips the meeting with the new therapist and instead goes into Dr. Bondurant's office. She sees the address of the house that Dr. Bondurant was meeting Jerry at. So she sneaks out and off to the house to search it for clues. Unfortunately, there's nothing there, and she gets scared off by another realtor showing the house. Jerry starts practicing his new life disguise. It turns out he's wearing a hairpiece, so he takes that off. He puts on fake facial hair and changes his clothes. Jerry goes into an interview to start selling insurance, and he immediately gets the job. He signs a lease on an apartment and starts to move in on a neighbor, a single mother. She's obviously going to be his next target. While Jerry is doing this, Susan finds out Jerry quit when she calls his office to speak with him. Jim confirms Jerry is his sister's murderer. He does this by showing Jerry's photo to the family from near the beginning of the movie. The one Jerry sold the house to and played with their daughter. Jim 
doubles back to Jerry's house. Jerry gets home, and Susan asks where he was. Jerry tells her he was at the office, and she calls him out on this lie. She tells him that she was told he was no longer with the business. Jerry then comes up with another lie about an inept receptionist, and Susan actually buys this. She had a suspicion, and it took minimal effort to sway her. Jerry gets on the phone and says he's going to call the office and make sure the receptionist is reprimanded. Susan attempts to talk him out of it, saying it was a mistake and that the receptionist likely just got his name wrong. Jerry asks how could the name be wrong and then calls himself by the wrong name. Susan immediately picks up on this and asks him to repeat himself. Jerry actually says, Who am I here? He's having serious issues separating his lives. That moment from the beginning, when he was talking to the family and he called Stephanie Jill to that small child, that same mental crossing of wires is happening. Jerry has officially lost control of the situation. Which means that Jerry has to kill Susan. He hits her in the face with the telephone and then throws her down the basement stairs. Stephanie gets home and of course thinks everything is normal. There is a very unnecessary shower scene. We do not need to see Stephanie take a shower and we do not need to see her naked. I think it's weird to have characters that are supposed to be teenagers nude on screen even when they're played by adult actors. The reason for this is that if there's nudity in the film, it's going to get an R rating or an NC-17 rating. I understand minors can attend R-rated movies with an accompanying adult, but that's not the intent of the rating system. A movie with an R rating is for adults. So if that's the case, why is this film that's meant for adults and an adult audience have a character that's supposed to be a minor naked? It just feels skeevy. I don't want to see a naked 16 year old, even if the actress portraying her was 23 when the movie was filmed. As an adult, I do not want to see a real naked child, so why would I want to see a fictional naked child? Stephanie gets out of the shower, and this is where we come to the big fight. Jim gets to the house, and Jerry very quickly murders him. It There's this buildup with Jim, and there's such disappointment when he just immediately dies. Jerry goes to look for Stephanie and she runs into him. She sees him bloody and holding a knife, the one he just used to dispatch Jim. She navigates her way around Jerry and locks herself in the bathroom. Jerry starts to smash through the door, breaking the full-length mirror on the back of it. Realizing that no matter what, Jerry is going to get in. Stephanie starts looking for a weapon. 
she grabs a towel and picks up a large piece of broken glass from the mirror. Jerry breaks through the door and Stephanie stabs him. Unfortunately, she only caught him in the arm. She runs through the broken door and Jerry soon follows. Cornered at the end of the hallway, Stephanie makes one of the smartest decisions I've ever seen in a horror film. Stephanie throws open a nearby closet and climbs up the shelves into the attic. Jerry tries to follow her, and scholars, I, I nearly cheered at this next point. Stephanie slides a fucking sled across the floor to try to hit Jerry in the face. She doesn't sit there trying to catch her breath or wasting time. She just keeps fighting. She utilizes her environment to her advantage. She's smart. She's tactical. Jerry makes it up to the attic, and there's a struggle and a chase with him and Stephanie. Jerry ends up falling through the ceiling into the bathroom when he steps off a beam. Stephanie climbs out of the attic and starts walking towards where Jerry is laying. She pauses at the stairs, where a gun is pointed at her. Susan, who is unfortunately, though also fortunately, not dead, has crawled up the basement steps and grabbed Jim's gun. Jerry runs and pulls Stephanie, intent on killing her, flinging her to the side. Susan, finally being useful for the first time in this film, shoots Jerry. Jerry gets back up, and Susan shoots him again. The gun then jams because this is a horror film and nothing can be easy. Stephanie and Jerry engage in a crawling race to Jerry's knife. Stephanie manages to reach it first and stabs Jerry. Jerry presumably dies. After these events, we see Stephanie cutting down a birdhouse she and Susan had put up with Jerry. This action symbolizes removing him from their lives. Afterward, Stephanie and Susan have a little hug and go inside. We've come to the point of making our conclusion scholars and here is mine. Jerry is your typical 80s movie slasher villain. He has these deeply unhealthy views on family and is mentally unstable in some way made apparent by his penchant for murder. He punishes what he considers deviant behavior with murder. He insists on being the father figure for each family he moves in on. He makes decisions for children that aren't his, truly believing he's entitled to do that. When his delusions about a new family are shattered, he can't deal with it. He doesn't want to deal with the mess that actually comes with having a family. That is why he leaves such destruction in his wake. 
they broke down the picture-perfect image he has. They made it messy. So he will make it messier. And then he'll leave to try again, to try to get it right. Jerry has these ever-prevalent and toxic views on how to establish his masculinity and does so by projecting this facade of a benevolent patriarch. Susan is a terrible parent. If Stephanie were to grow up and decide not to speak to her anymore, she would be entirely justified. Susan threw all logic out the window with her relationship with Jerry. She married a person she just met when her child is uncomfortable. This is at the least bad judgment and at the worst child abuse. She invalidates her daughter's feelings constantly. She thinks more about how Jerry can better her life than her daughter's well-being. Susan doesn't have any regard for her child's safety by properly taking the time to get to know this man. She doesn't know about his past. Susan allowed a stranger around her daughter and just wanted her to accept him as her new dad. Stephanie is 16. She's too old to try to integrate someone into her life at that level that quickly and expect her not to have a negative response. Susan massively failed her daughter here. Stephanie is going to need years of therapy. She had to deal with the year of her mother meeting and marrying Jerry. She went through this whole process of trying to prove Jerry is a murderer and is made to feel crazy. Her mom constantly made her feel guilty for feeling things other than love and admiration for Jerry and acting out. Her fucking therapist was murdered. Jerry killed someone in her house and almost murdered both her and her mother. That's so much for anyone to process, let alone a teenager. Stephanie was a really resourceful girl, though, and she did try to put the pieces together. She could think rationally in a high-pressure, stressful situation. Stephanie is a fucking badass, and I hate that. I hate that because of the fact that she had to be a badass. She had to be, or she would have died. Stephanie deserves better. A common trait in movies from the 1980s are subtly, or sometimes not even subtly, neglectful and abusive parents. The stepfather is a prime example of that. Parents in these films have no regard for the safety of their children and are commonly emotionally abusive. This behavior wouldn't get called out though, it was just portrayed. Now we know, should know, that these behaviors are actually abusive. But 
in the 80s, this was just normal life, or at least normalized life. This movie is contingent on parents exhibiting abusive behavior. Jerry is a monster and has a warped sense of reality. Susan and Stephanie are both victims of his manipulation and eventual rampage. Stephanie has the added bonus of being a victim of her mother's behavior. That's all I have for you today, scholars. Tune in for next week's lecture where we will be covering Halloween, the 1978 classic that started a franchise that's still kicking all these years later.